Mm. The people you surround yourself with, what they talk about, what they do, it will influence you if you're 15, it will influence you if you're 50. Yep. Like it just is about your network. Everybody at this time, it was running up. The market was running up. It was a bull market. And everybody in that room was talking about crypto. And I was just like, oh, I've been hearing about this for years from my brother Jack and ignored him and others. And I'm just like, what the heck? So I was like, well, let me take a look. And three days later, I'm like down the Bitcoin rabbit hole mm. deep. And I'm freaking out and I missed it. And I, we're too late and blah, blah, blah. And we got to get involved and I got to get some money into this because it's going to yada, yada, yada. And just like and my new obsession. And so that was a totally a solo thing. I started trying to do consulting and taught people for a few dollars here and there and help some folks set up their wallets and stuff like that and what's security. And I just, I just kind of really quickly hit the broad spectrum of what Bitcoin is and what cryptocurrency is and how to interact on all of them and became relatively educated in that. Welcome to Lessons in Leverage, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of success. We'll help you unlock the secrets of leverage so you can amplify your impact in the world. Here's your host, Spencer Lowe. All right, welcome to another episode of Lessons in Leverage. I'm here today with a good friend of mine, Alex Mangum. Uh, Alex is actually someone that I grew up with, and we went very different paths and ended up finding each other again in Utah. And uh, I was just blown away by his story and everything that he's been able to accomplish. Uh, when I knew Alex at first, I always thought you were kind of, your whole family was like really athletic, kind of like jocks, like people I looked up to. I was yeah. kind of this scrawny little nerdy kid. You guys were out here just like killer i remember taylor was my age and yeah. taylor was just a crazy athlete he was great at baseball jock criminals um, yeah so yeah. jocks and criminals and a little <laughs> and jack got a little spicy there for a little bit but, but yeah man it's yeah. so so but i just remember that was kind of the image right then we we meet back up at a really where we really crossed paths again was at that entrepreneurship retreat yeah yeah and as i'm listening to your story i'm like man alex has just gone and done all this cool stuff so i love kind of that path you've gone on and i'm excited to dig into it so thanks yeah. for being here man i'm happy to be here thank you so you know i what what when we sort of separated ways earlier in life i remember hearing oh alex went into the military but it sounds like you did so much more than that yeah. why don't you take us from there yeah you know as, as you got out of high school you're looking at your options you really dug into education tell me about what that looked like yeah so I left Vacaville, California at uh, 18, just a little bit after I turned 18. And I was already married and had a baby girl that was like five months old. So, and all that happened before high school graduation. So that summer was- well, I mean, that's, that most people look at that and go, oh, you got a kid before you're 18. I mean, your, your life's off the tracks. You couldn't, it was. You couldn't possibly go on to achieve anything. It was, it was, I mean, statistically speaking, there wasn't much to bet on. And when you look at how most situations turn out, but- I just, I have to give most of the credit to the support structure that was around me, my parents and my family, and then almost completely to Michelle. Yes. Yeah. She's the one that ultimately decided to tough it out. So find you a good woman and get her pregnant as quick as you can is always my joke. <laughs> <laughs> just not, not sure if you pregnant kidding. too early is the exact right, but I do, but, but there's a lot of truth in that. I think oh. marriage is a huge form of leverage when you have someone that believes in you, who supports you it creates the ability for you to go accomplish yes. a lot more. I mean, that your life could have gone yes. a totally different direction if you didn't have this. Every, every statistic on the planet will show that you are more better, you're better off and more productive if you're married. Yep. It just does. Yep. So, so yeah. So uh, that was when my dad was moving us out of California. He didn't want the younger brothers to grow up with the older brothers had mm -hmm. done and seen. And so Jack and Brent were already gone here in Utah. My dad decided to move to Utah, left mom and, and, and the two kids behind and said, Hey, you can come. You, Michelle, and the baby can come live with us in Utah. 
for like three months in this apartment and then you got to find your way mm. so that's when we bounced we left we went out there did that got an apartment and for about a year and a half i painted houses for like nine dollars an hour supporting paying paying the bills just we would just stay the night every every friday and saturday at my parents house for the weekend and eat their food mm. like that's just the way it was so michelle loves this story but she ended up taking me to um she said we got to go to see the recruiters out of the blue one day i was like huh this is after september 11th she drove me from provo utah to, to roy utah to the big five recruiters we walked in and she's like who do you want to talk to i'm like do you do you remember don wagon uh, oh, don yeah, and yeah. barbara wagon yes i do yeah okay so very close friends and barbara is i still stay in touch with her don has passed mm. uh, uh but don was in the coast guard Oh, as an electronics technician, like on the boats. And right. I just remembered that and thought he was, you know, one of the greatest. So I saw the Coast Guard. I said, let's do Coast Guard. Walked me in there. They're happy. Good ass VAP score. They said, we, we'll have you in boot camp in less than two months. And I was like, ah, we, I don't know about this. I backed off. And Michelle pulled me over to the corner and said, sign up today or I'm moving back to California to my parents' house. <laughs> Because I didn't understand the depth of it, but she was done with mm -hmm. with being poor, done with not having friends, family around, done not having like window shopping at the dollar store. She was done. Yeah. She wanted to change. So I, of course, I turned around and said, hey, who's got a pen? Like, what's <laughs> up? Sign up. Boom. I'm into the Coast Guard. And when it, when it comes to the, the military and, and what I would tell young people that are interested in is, is look, you have to use it as a tool. Like, it's, it's not just the thing to go do for whatever your reasons are, it's an asset. Yeah. There, there is very few organizations that have so many um, added benefits and things that you can get if you just sign up for them and go do a little work than the military. I mean, it's just, education is one of them, but the rest, you know, there's just so many. So it took me a couple of years. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's, that's such a critical insight because a lot of people look at the military, they go, Oh, it could be dangerous. You might not make as much money. You're, you have to travel. There's all these yeah, downsides. Yeah. A lot of people sort of talk down on it. I know growing up in the military with my dad in the Air yep, Force, yep. I mean, he got two, two associate's degrees, a bachelor's degree, and a master's degree, all paid for by the yeah, Air Force. Yeah. By the time he got out, he had built multiple different skill sets. He worked in security police for a while. And so that's not a commonly talked about form of leverage, but especially, I mean, you're in a tight spot. Your wife is like done, ready to go if you can't get your stuff together. Yeah. And that's just such a huge source of leverage to change your life. So tell me about how you did that. Yeah. So um, sign up. I signed up for six years. It gave me an E3 benefit, the rank when I got out of boot camp. So it got me going a little bit faster than the average. Um, so that was the first thing I did is I, I looked at my time horizon was like, all right, I'm 19. What's six years? Six years now, six years still for me is like, eh, that's going to go by like that. Yeah. But then it was just boom, leverage that one up got a higher rank. That means as soon as I got to my boat, did a few little checkbox things, they put me on the list for the aviation maintenance technician school, mm. which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to get into aviation. So boom, I'm in there. I was at school pretty quick, got all that training. It's basically an A&P license through the FAA. So you're certified to work as long as you go and then get the FAA license, you have all the training now. Wow. So you can go work on jets, airplanes, anywhere. So you already have like a side piece. Did you know when you went into the military, that's what you wanted to do? Because I imagine there's some like MOSs uh, where you go, you get a skill set. There's just not a great way to turn that into a private yeah. sector skill. 
Whereas this one, it's like you have all the training, you go get certified by the FFA, it translates really well. Was that something you'd kind of planned and thought about? No, not at not at the beginning. I was kind of like everybody else looking for adventure. I thought I was going to be a rescue swimmer. Mm. And get, going into boot camp, that's what I thought. Then I got to boot camp and I realized, all right, these dudes are different. <laughs> and that's, that's not me. I'll drown. So I pivoted real quick to I want to be air crew. Yeah. And, and in that, and um, I didn't know about the FAA licensing. I, I was new to basically everything. Okay. So everything was a step throughout my entire career. It was just one, you know, pause here, build up, step up to the next thing, and on and on and on. And that's what I did for, for 20 years. In fact, my official retirement date from the military, and I've been in two branches now, mm. uh, from the from the Air Force is the 19th. Oh, really? Yeah. So you're still, you still, I'm still in, got, got the connection with the Air Force. Well, I'm sure we'll get to that. So yeah. you're starting in the Coast Guard. Now you ended up on a flight crew, right? Because yeah. I remember I saw you on TV that one time, yeah. uh, Whitney sent me a clip on the podcast. My brother does uh, search and rescue and, yeah. and flies in helicopters. And there was a show and I guess they had gone up and, and filmed some pieces from yeah. the crew you were working on. So, so was that, that first step was getting into the flight crew? Or, or what did that what did that look like? The first step and beauty beauty of this is is as in life everything has to be earned, mm. and you have to prove some some proficiencies and things like that. So you go in, you get checked out on your aircraft, whichever aircraft you're stationed with. I got lucky and got sixties or the the Coast Guard they call them Jayhawks, but they're Blackhawk variant, okay. variants. So you have to become a basic air crewman on that. You have to know the fundamentals of the mechanics. You know have to know how to pre flight it, post flight it, through flight it check all these things then you can get yourself an air crew position a guy that can go out maybe on test flights run the radios basic stuff maintenance stuff from there you have to prove yourself even further and then you get put into the into the training for a flight mechanic mm -hmm. that's the guy that ends up when the alarm goes off he jumps in the helicopter they go out to see he's operating the hoist putting the swimmer out the door bringing him back in and, and bringing in the survivor so it's like a it's a significant step up in, in responsibility and training and experience Certainly. And uh, that took me, that took me from 04 to 08, took me four years to get to kind of work into that. And I'm sure Whitney would, would understand that that's to get to where he is. It took a long time and a yeah. lot of, he beat, he beat the pavement for a while. Yeah. yeah so he, he and I have had some conversations. So, so yeah, it takes some time and takes some education, but you just, you know. And so all in all, you thought you're going to be a swimmer. You're right next to him controlling, doing the hoisting, all that. Yeah. What was that experience like? It came with some PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and some some scary times i got to serve in in north carolina where they have some good storms mm. but it wasn't it wasn't wild um and then i went to kodiak alaska and served there for three and a half years and saw saw a lot 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 of people need rescuing up there because the circumstances just get away from you mm. so so quickly and life's man it's fragile so yeah. so did that for three and a half years up there um until the whole the whole pivot in my life happened and like i was saying earlier um the whole dynamics of the military changed around 2008 and mm -hmm. nine and the military and the government goes through cycles, you know, Democrat, yep. Republican and president Obama was coming into office and the forces just already knew it. And they started like proactively uh, a reduction in forces. Yeah. They, they started letting people out early on their contracts. They started shrinking. You know, if, if this officer corps group was 140 people last year, it's 30 or 40 people this year. Mm -hmm. And so that, that changed all my opportunities. And the things I had started going to college at a junior college and, and worked into a bachelor's degree program that I was working on. And I knew I was a couple of years out from that, mm -hmm. from accomplishing those things. And I just was like, all right, I'm at the 10 year mark. The 10 year mark is like, you know, it's halfway to retirement. 
some things happened in, in some of the stuff that I was studying and I learned about a company called Scaled Composites. Mm. And if anybody remembers there, they did Spaceship One, the first private company to send a rocket or a crew into space twice in two weeks and they won uh, the Ansari X Prize. So mm. kind of in, in the vein of, uh, what's the name? The Spirit of St. Louis um, pilot. Um, dang it, the guy who flew across the Atlantic. I can't believe I'm dropping his name out. Everybody's going to be so mad at me. But that, that started because it was a competition they offered $25,000 mm. to anybody that could do that. And it stimulated it and and, uh, and, it, and was accomplished. So in that vein, they, they did this and Scaled Composites came along and said, we'll try. At the very end, they teamed with Richard Branson mm. and Paul Allen. Richard Branson is now Virgin Galactic and they're sending people regularly every month in yeah. their version two of that. And, and I just became enamored with this company. Mm. Like I, I thought it was incredible what they're doing guys civilian guys would come off the street get enough training and then be in a position for flight crew wow to to fly on these rockets to fly on these weird aircraft i mean they just make the weirdest stuff so right about then i, I was like all right do i pivot again you know i've been on this plateau i already have my flight mechanic license i'm already applying for these programs like you know most things are met what do i do now do i just linger here mm. with the military as it as it's dwindled and and carved down for the next eight years which it was or do I take an opportunity and I want to be the wreck for the job said aerospace engineer. Mm. And I was like, well, I'm in aerospace. Yeah. How, how hard could this be? <laughs> and I, so I very quickly, as, as I do in my little manias, when I, when I decide I'm going to do something, I went to my advisor and said, Hey, switch me over. She said, you can't do aerospace engineering online. It has to be in person. Mm. A week later I said, Hey, you got a certificate of engineering through worldwide start me in there we'll get the first two years out she goes you have to be in class in anchorage oh my goodness gracious so two months later i put in my request as they were letting everybody out like e e4 and below e5 and below if you want to get out off your contract go ahead mm -hmm. i said hey i would like to get out based on this program and this program to go and and educate myself and go after professional development both of them fully qualified they said no mm -hmm. And I, I reapplied for that every six months for the next two years. And they turned me down every single time until my, my contract was up. Wow. So it's a, is it a kick in the nuts or is it a compliment? I don't know, but they said, you want to take they it? said, we'll let them go, but you're not going anywhere. And, <laughs> and so I was stuck, but I kept working on everything again, using the military's education benefits. Mm. They're paying for everything I'm doing the whole time. Now I'm going to get out. I'm going to go to GI bill. Yeah. It's, and it's different. So, so tell me about that. What, so what's the difference there? So while you're in the military, there's certain education benefits you can be getting. And then everyone, I think, has heard of the GI Bill in terms yep. of getting some of your college paid for. So how did that work? How did you get all that? Sure. So tuition assistance is the thing for active duty. Okay. And that can be up to five grand a year, or it's, it's probably a lot more now. But uh, what I watched every single inst education institution do on that tuition assistance for military folks is if it was $100 a credit hour, and the military gave you $85 a credit hour. That's, that's about what it was. You had to come out of pocket like 15 bucks. Okay. But when the, when the tuition assistance went up magically, mm. somehow the school's credit hour cost went up mm. to where you still covered about $15, $20. It just never, I watched it do that for 10 years mm. in active duty. And, and it, that's a whole nother topic <laughs> we could get into but that's, uh, but that's, education costs so much, that's but. what I watched. So tuition assistance, active duty, you get a little set amount every year. You just apply for it and you get it. When you okay. get out and you get the GI bill, 
that's a bigger package. That's mm-hmm. you paid in about twelve hundred dollars in your first year of duty to to buy into this upgraded package. You now get access to that, and you can and you can transfer it to family members now. Wow. Okay. This is I mean it's it's huge. So I start out in that. And when I went to the college and said, hey, I'm switching over to aerospace engineering from aeronautics, they said, okay, you got about 15 credits to transfer out of 108 or something like that. Wow. And you need about 120 for a bachelor's degree. So I literally started from scratch. And along the way, I did two things. I, I poked at professors and I got a few to accept some other classes mm. that counted for it. And I took one engineering course and one aeronautics, professional aeronautics course every summer. So with that, by the end, when I got to the end, I got two, I got both bachelor's degrees Oh, awesome! from uh, Embry-Riddle and graduated. And I've, I've told people that I calculated it up and I'm, I'm certain it, it also comes with a stipend, mm. a living stipend of like $1,500 a month. Just the GI Bill. Yours. Yeah. The GI Bill. So all said and done, I used almost $250,000. Wow. At least $250,000 to, to accomplish my education and it took me about 16 17 years from nine dollars an hour as a broke painter to two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of education what is that six eight years later it took about 15 16 years okay so all in you're talking yeah. 15 16 years later so you go from 20 to 35 ish yeah and you're talking about being in a totally different place okay. two bachelor's degrees educated all the skills you acquired from the military yeah and you're coming out now, although it sounds like you didn't fully get out. So tell me about where did you go? So, from? yeah, because I'm I, again, you need to leverage your your talents. You need to leverage your resources. You need to everything in life is about leverage, like yeah. always backing it up and making sure that you're good to move forward. And that's what I was looking at at, at 10 years with the Coast Guard. It's like you're halfway to uh, retirement payments for the rest of your life immediately starting as soon as you get out. Yeah. And the benefits that come with that or you're going to bounce. And you're going to go try and do this degree mm. that is, it was horrible, man. Mm. It was like 80 hours a week for sure. All the time. Yeah. So, you know, what are you going to do in the meantime? You got a wife and three kids. So it was like, all right, asking friends around, do I go into the Coast Guard Reserve? And now I have to travel from Arizona to the beach once a month, blah, blah, blah. What am I going to do? I ended up finding the Air National Guard in Phoenix. And I went down there with my resume and everything. And they, and they were like, what do you want to do? I said, what did you sign me up for? They said, you can do like nine different AFSCs or MOSs. Mm-hmm. They're like, your, your training, you could do this with the beauty of the Coast Guard. We did so much more with less. Mm-hmm. In aviation, we had two rates. Aviation maintenance technician, aviation electronics technician. Two, the Air Force has like 30. Mm-hmm. Every person does this one thing, and that's all they do. And they tell you, that's not my job. <laughs> this is, I love the Air Force. I've loved my time in it. But I went over there and they said, you could do eight or nine of these things right now. We'll just waver you. So I said, which one of these gives me the least chance of getting deployed while I'm going to school full time? Yeah. And they were like, that would be NDI. The guy from the back raised his hand. And that was a side collateral thing. Again, a, a training that I got because someone came on the hangar deck one day and said, hey, who wants to train NDI? And I raised my hand every single time ever. They said, who wants to do this job? Who wants to go to this school? For whatever it was, I was in the back going, yep, give me that thing. Just filling up my resume. Yep. I did that for 10, 10 years in the Coast Guard. It ended up being the one thing in the Air Force that literally gave me the least. I never missed a single uh, semester. Wow. They just didn't want to, they didn't want to deploy NDI. So, um, so I cranked away at it, ended up graduating 
And um, at that point, it was like, all right, now what do you do? You know, work full time for the Air Force for pittance as a young enlisted guy, even though I, ha I had some time in or pursue that dream of scaled composites. Mm. So I had stayed in touch with them for about three years. They kept trying to get me to come out for an internship mm. in the summer, but I wanted to be close to my family. So I interned with Honeywell mm. every summer in Phoenix. So I could just drive home on the weekends. But when it came time to it, um, graduation time, Honeywell gave me an offer and scaled composites said, I hit us up after the winter or after the, the break. I said, look, I can't be trying to secure a job two months out from moving. I have a wife and kids like I need an offer now or you guys tell me, you know, can't do it. And they came back with an offer immediately. Mm -hmm. So it took me six years from when I said, what's what's an aerospace engineer? I want to work at scaled composites to I started working at scaled composites. It was that's awesome. It was nuts. I think that today, one of the things that sometimes kids miss is we, we hire a lot of young, young folks right out of school. And uh, I think people don't under understand and a lot of young people don't understand the amount of work it takes to do something mm -hmm. yet how achievable it is if you do the work yeah, and it's like simultaneously a lot of people nowadays want it to be easy and get all the benefits and it's like no no no, it's not going to be easy but if you do the work it's absolutely attainable yeah and so that's such a testament to that that you here you are you've gone through this whole transformation you're in the military still you see this job that you're aspiring to and then within six years, you're able to get all the skills. But, I mean, how hard were you working? Kids nowadays say 40 hours is unreasonable. Well, what, what is hard work through this time of your life? What does hard work look like? So in transitioning, you know, because everything in my eyes is always like, all right, how how smooth can I make this transition? Like driving a race car. Yep. I need to hit that apex perfectly, gas brake dip, yep. accelerate. So how am I going to do this? So I was already working at least 50 hours a week Coast Guard because yep. you would have an overnight shift at least once a week, you know, mm -hmm. to cover that, that watch. So I was doing that and I was working at the local FBO at a friend's aviation place there. Mm -hmm. He flew mail and passenger stuff all over the islands around Kodiak and the mainland. So I was there turning wrenches and I would do about 15, maybe 20 hours a week, you know, maybe a nice eight hour shift on a Saturday or something. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to switch. And I was doing a little school on the side too, like 10, 10 hours a week. It yeah. was, I always stayed busy because I spaz. So so I thought that I was going to flip and I was going to end up doing like 50, 60 hours a week at school and maybe 20, 30 hours a week. I could have a part-time job. Mm. And I got through my first semester and finished it up. And I, I hadn't seen my family in like three months in yep. any real way. I was spending 70 hours a week on campus and doing more, more work at home. And I got five A's. I had like 18 credits the first semester. I was wow. ridiculous. I got straight A's and I said, that will never, ever be worth it again. Yeah. Ever. And my GPA ticked down every semester until <laughs> until I graduated. Down to like three. Just enough to, to be in good shape and <sighs> not anymore. Yeah. It's so, a 4.0 is so overrated. Yep. So overrated. I agree. So I, I love the quote. The, the 4.0 students, the A students work for the B students. The C students manage the companies and D students dedicate the buildings. Mm. And like, I think, I don't know, Peter Thiel or some billionaire said that and mm. I just agreed with him so it took me that long it took me 20 years to get to where I'm where I am but every every step up it was okay learn about airplanes okay learn about maintenance okay get good at maintenance okay maybe we're going to learn the engineering okay now we can learn composites and manufacturing things because that was a side thing I did in the Coast Guard yep. which led to scaled composites to North of Grumman and then I became a project engineer and a manager and L3 poached me mm -hmm. took me over there 
Now I'm doing avionics mm. and electronics, stuff that I had never dealt with. But every step along the way got me to the point where now I could at least play in this arena and manage a project. So yeah, it was, it was just one, one big step along That's the way. Awesome, man. Yeah. For 20 years. It's such a cool story, man. I'm, I'm so proud of you, dude. I just think that's awesome. And and I just love the fact that you've put in that much work and you've been able to pull from all these different areas of your mm-hmm. life, starting with the support system at home, then your wife and, and her being a support, pulling in from the military, getting everything you can get out of that, getting into the educational system, pulling everything you can pull out of that and building such a successful life. I mean, it's so inspiring, honestly. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's part of why I wanted to have you have you on today. So you get to that point. Now that brings us up pretty close to current, right? Yeah, yeah. And since you haven't been very busy, as we've established now, it's just kind of a little bit of work here and there. Um, kind of got a little bit into entrepreneurship, specifically on the crypto side. Tell me what kind of attracted you to that and what did you see there that you felt like there was leveraging? Yeah. So it, it was 2021. It was like February 21. And I just happened to get your, your network. This is a, a testament to how powerful your network is. Mm. The people you surround yourself with, what they talk about, what they do, it will influence you if you're 15. It will influence you if you're 50. Yep. Like it just is about your network. And this, I stepped away and went to the military for uh, five months full time uh, at the Utah Air National Guard when I transferred here. Mm. And everybody at this time, it was running up. The market was running up. It was a bull market. And everybody in that room was talking about crypto. Mm. And I was just like, oh, I've been hearing about this for years from my brother, Jack, and ignored him and others. And I'm just like, what the heck? So I was like, well, let me take a look. And three days later, I'm like down the Bitcoin rabbit hole mm. d- deep. And I'm freaking out and I missed it. And I, we're too late and blah, blah, blah. And we got to get involved and I got to get some money into this because it's going to yada, yada, yada. And just like obs- and my new obsession. Sure. And so that was a, totally a solo thing. I started trying to do consulting and taught people for a few dollars here and there and help some folks set up their wallets and stuff like that and what's security and I just I just kind of really quickly hit the broad spectrum of what Bitcoin is and what cryptocurrency is and how to interact on all of them and became relatively educated in that my wife got sick and tired of that Mm. and she said I wish you would go find other people to talk to about (laughs) about these things and so I did and I reached out to the local community and linked up with some people and really quickly, I figured out that me and some of these big dogs sort of in this local space um, had connections through my brothers mm. and, and others. And, and so I was kind of, you know, when you meet someone and they're like, yeah, yeah, I know your brother real well. We blah, 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 work together, live together. We're friends. Yeah. It's like, all right, that's a huge level of trust sure. that just goes up from there because my brother trusts him. Yeah. And so that, that really was what happened. And I got welcomed into this community. And in just a few months, a, a couple people reached out and said, hey, we need someone with your talent skills and experience to come in and be a part of this thing we're trying to do you want to join and i was like sign me up man so for probably two years about two years now i've been working on the side in a company called moon tax mm-hmm. with um derek ride and nate bradshaw Ephraim olson yep. trent keanu a bunch of other guys that have had some part in this and the thing this is about you know entrepreneurship is you, you target something i'm gonna go do this in this way you target that and you head straight for it but you better be ready to pivot, man, because mm. that market's going to tell you yep. this is nothing. This is something. Yep. And so we've been doing that for these two years. And now we're honed in on something that's pretty impressive mm. and it's growing and we're helping a lot of people. And we have revenue. And so I, I put in another you know, 16 hours a week probably mm. on, on that 
hoping that it could become a full-time thing. Yeah. But the, mostly what we do is essentially is um, uh, we help folks reconcile their cryptocurrency trading. So when you yeah. upload all your documents to these different softwares, that's one thing. Yeah. Then going through and getting it right is a whole nother. And if you're an advanced trader, um, we have people, you know, 5,000 transactions a year mm -hmm. and plus, and it's just, it's a mess. So a lot of hours and a lot of time. And um, to but, get the right tax benefits out of it. Oh, and that, that's otherwise you get really wrecked on it, right? That's yes. That's the pain point you guys are really addressing. Yes. And that's the the next step up is we have a sister law firm mm. that we signed up for. This is the most unique thing about it all is that the sandbox law in Utah, it's a program where companies can come in and say, hey, there's no legislation or rules or laws that say we can't do this, but it's basically been looked down on unethical, whatever we want to get. We want to do this because it will benefit client in this way. Can we get a license to operate an ABS, an alternative business structure? Mm. We went to them and got that. Oh, nice. And since then, they have shut this, paused the program because they had too many applications. So we are, as far as we know, the only non-lawyer owned law firm in the nation that can share referral fees. That's interesting. That's really <laughs> Literally. Literally, because it's it's not allowed. I can't, you can't give me a referral as a non-lawyer. And then I say, hey, thank you for that. Here's a referral fee. We got the authorization to do that. Now we can we can partner with other cryptocurrency reconciliation providers, software providers, and say, hey, here's a, a white labeled website. Here's the referral. Here's what we can do to save your clients. Because people talk about cryptocurrency tax legislation. There isn't any. Mm -hmm. There is guidance that has been put out non-binding guidance and then you have to go through it and figure out do i pay do i not did this count is this a taxable event is this not it's so ambiguous right now so if you if you go out and you do your this is again leveraging your your, your solution has to be backed up by something right you go out and do your research and then you write it all down take your notes you pay your taxes they audit you and they say why why didn't you pay your taxes on this this and this and you go well here's my research and they look at it and they go, well, this is unreasonable. Why? Because you have no training. You have no tax training. You have no legal training. It's unreasonable to think that you know how to navigate this world and come up to a, a good, solid conclusion that has backing. Mm -hmm. So with that, people are leaving tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table. Not they're just worried to, about potentially getting out of it. And so they're just overpaying in taxes on right. stuff where they could if they had the right legal back, backing. Because so, the, the Q&A list has said you should pay taxes on this. And they just go uh, from the IRS. Uh, they're not regulators. Yeah. So uh, what Olson and Partners provides is a is a structured legal document that says we have looked at this case based on this precedence, based on these trials, based on these rules here, 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 and deem that this is untaxable. You keep that in your back pocket. You file your taxes. If they come back and say, what's up with this? You present and you say, this is why I had my tax strategy. And they go... All right, that's reasonable. That's reasonable because a, a professional did it. But, you know, we need to talk about this, that, and the other. And you go, okay, let's negotiate. If you have to pay some back, you have to pay some back. But you're not going to be penalized. Yeah, that's a big thing. Because you took, the, you, you took the correct step in that and got your professional backing. And you were advised and counseled by. So, so that's another thing in life is if you're going to do big things, get good, solid advice and counsel. Mm -hmm. Go to lawyers. Go to older people in your life. Every step of my path has always been preceded by or followed up by me going to my, my father, my aunts, my uncles, and getting life advice from them. 
and going to professionals and saying, can I do this? Like, it just has to be that. You know what, what I think really changed with the internet? And I don't know how much this is actually just a cultural cycle that has happened in the past as well. Because uh, I read this book, The Fourth Turning. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Have you read that one? Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've read some of it. But... Yeah, it's, it's an interesting concept. And so there's some of it that now, after reading that book, I think might just be a, a normal cycle. Maybe it's not totally internet dependent. But one of the phenomenons I thought happened in a big way with the internet was prior to that, there was a certain amount of respect for elders and experience because they really did know and there wasn't another way to know i mean sure you could go to the library and pull out the dewey decimal system and go find your book and like read something and try to come up to knowledge but that was hard yeah but when the internet came out you search engines and all of a sudden you know if my if my parents tell me something i go google search it and i see that they're wrong i can find information really quickly and so where elders used to be sort of the the holders of both wisdom and information yeah the internet sort of taught young people Yet you can't necessarily trust them. You should go get the information yourself. But the information doesn't come with wisdom. That's right. And so that's that's this tricky dynamic where we've started to overvalue our ability to make our own decisions based on the internet and the data and information available. Yeah. But in reality, there's still lived wisdom that, if, that you need to rely on those people for mm-hmm. because they've been through tens of, of years, decades and decades of experience where even if their information is wrong, there are certain truths inside the lived experience that like you just can't get otherwise. Exactly. So I think we've, we've kind of fallen a little short as a society in recent history on putting the right emphasis and value on that lived experience. 100%. But I think that's an incredible insight for how you've done that to make the big decisions in your life and get that guidance. Yeah. With that being said, any other things that you would share with the audience in terms of places to connect with you? Anything they need to know about Moontax, where do they go if they need help with their crypto? Sure. Yeah, obviously, you can go to Moontax.com. You can go to Olson, OlsonPartnersLaw.com. You can see that. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook. You can just find me by Alex J. Mangum. And we would love to help anybody out with, with those crypto concerns, questions. We're always ready for a chat and available. Yeah, man, it's, I love talking about stuff like this. I love talking about personal development. And, and I can't overemphasize enough sitting down with, with the elders. Because yeah. you can go to the internet, you can go to chat GPT, you can get information, but you don't get wisdom. Yeah, You don't. Wisdom has to come with life experience, earned life experiences, like you said. And um, gosh, man, I just crested 40. I feel like a child still. It's my first it's day. It's incredible how much wisdom, though, you have in that time period because of everything you just shared, all of that you've been through. You know, I'm I'm 34 now. Yeah. And uh, I, I look back and I'm grateful for all the experiences and everything I've learned so far, but I feel like you. I still know so little. so little. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Yeah. And uh, you get more and more aware of that. The more that you learn, the, you, you realize how little there is that you really know and how much more there is to learn still. So, And that opens up the opportunities, man. You stay humble. You just have to. So. Have to. Yep. Well, Alex, dude, thanks for coming. <laughs> I appreciate Happy you. to be here. Yeah. Hey, before you go, I have a small request. Our mission is to empower as many people as possible to maximize their potential through the power of leverage. Could you help us in this mission by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube? And if you know just one person who would benefit from today's episode, would you please share it with them? Your support means the world to us, and we are thrilled to have you in the community. Thank you for being a part of our journey and helping us grow. You can find show notes for today's show and past shows at LessonsInLeverage.com, which also has links to connect with me personally and connect with our various podcast channels across your favorite social networks. 
A big thanks to Solve.Cloud who sponsored this episode. They're a group of expert consultants that help SaaS and financial services companies to implement, optimize, and manage Salesforce.com. They can help you with custom integration solutions and are helping customers to implement some of the most important generative AI technologies. You can find them at Solve.Cloud. That's S-O-L-V-D dot cloud is the URL. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.